So you've got to be fifth level to use that as a paladin. Like you've okay, got to go. Uh, sorry, you get you get five points per paladin level. Oh, is it? Yeah. Never mind. But it's still, you need a first level paladin. Nope. Yeah, first level. But. for the Mundangerous Spawning Stone in New York City. I'm your host, Shane. And I'm your host, Ishan. And welcome to episode 246 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're continuing our series on iconic monsters and talking about how to use Slotty in your game. But first, the party reconnects with a piece of the past in the Gates of Morning campaign. And later, the Toad Battler stalks the churning mayhem of Limbo in the character Creation Forge. Are you looking for a great story? Do you love Star Wars? Do you like podcasts? If you said yes to any of these, check out the Redemption Podcast. Well, I have less in my head than you do normally, probably. You haven't met the crew I'm with. Pretty much everywhere we go, our life is in danger. Things didn't explode. That's pretty sneaky for us. That sounds horrible. Yes, please finish up whatever underhanded thing you're doing on the computer terminals at the Jedi Temple. Check out Redemption Podcast at www.redemptionpodcast.com. Hey, so Shane, sometimes we show up on other shows. We do that from time to time. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't know why anyone asks us to. But they keep doing it, so we keep showing up. Mm -hmm. We appreciate it very much. And these days, you can find us Friday nights at twitch.tv slash godsfall, where we are playing Castle Amber. Castle Amber is a module from the early 80s. Um, The very early 80s. That has some (laughs) eccentricities. Uh, So Aram Vartian from Godsfall is the GM. He's running us through it along with uh, Sally uh, from the Struggle Bus, whom you might have seen from our own uh, Band of Blades stream, uh, as well as Dylan, who I just found out is, what, a physicist? A physicist. The physicist Dylan. (laughs) A Canadian physicist. (laughs) Right. (laughs) He's just checking boxes. (laughs) Right. So, yeah. So, we are playing through this module. Uh, It is GM'd by Aram. And uh, we've got got a fun little group of characters making our way through an absolutely insane module. Uh, Just imagining having to play this in, like, original AD&D, not even second edition. Like, I I could... I I get frustrated even imagining it, but it's very fun in fifth edition. Yeah, we're playing wacky characters in a, a wacky scenario. I can imagine, though, back in the day, there were probably three or four things that we have like touched in this castle that would have immediately murdered us, mm-hmm. I'm sure. Right? Oh, yeah. Uh, the hallway full of darkness. Um, I never would have gone anywhere near that in like right. first edition. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, right. so it's super fun. Uh, Fridays, 7 p.m. Eastern, most likely. I don't think that's going to change in the future, probably for the next uh, three-ish weeks. Yep, at twitch.tv slash godsfall. So, Ishan, where are we in the Gates of Morning campaign? So, the Gates of Morning campaign is our fifth edition D&D game set in Eberron, a sequel of sorts to the original Morning Glory campaign. And in central Karnath, in the insular city of Vedakir, the party is chasing a killer. 
So after deciding to get answers about their very strange deaths on the day of mourning four years ago, the party has gained entry to the ancestral enclave of House Jurasco, the halfling dragon-marked House of Healing. So it's a sprawling compound, and most of the buildings are, are low, single-story. Uh, a lot of them have like open sides, you know, almost more like gazebos than full-on buildings. They're filled with soft cushions and flowing curtains and there's the occasional patient wrapped in bandages who's resting or convalescing. And, you know, you, we've got like these nice bubbling fountains to like calm you and help you recover, kind of dotting the campus. Further into the enclave, as they're escorted deeper in, the buildings become sturdier and more populated. There are small groups who are gathering for tea or gentle exercises. And in the distance, the party can see what look like might be steam pools for relaxing. So the party is led to a small waiting room, and after a few minutes, Wilmo appears. The elderly halfling is just as grumpy as they remember her from on the day of mourning when they first met her, when she gave them refuge at a Jurasco compound before they all died, exactly when Seer was destroyed. She denies any knowledge of any enclave, and we are able to kind of quickly figure out that, uh, that enclave is supposed to be a secret. She so, has no idea what you are talking about, and how dare you insinuate? Yeah, <laughs> she doth protest too much. <laughs> and Vesicod, the uh, Kalistar, attempts to suggest that she cooperate with us, but she shakes him off. So instead, Bramble tells her an enthralling tale of how his life was saved by a brave soldier during the war. And now, under the shifter's sway, she invites the party to dine with her. Yeah, I think this is the first time that uh, the Bram Bramble, the shifter bard, used his glamour bard ability where he just needs to talk to somebody for a minute and then they make a save. And if they fail that, then they're basically enthralled by him. Like they sort of idolize him, like almost like a celebrity for about an hour. Mm -hmm. um, it's not like full on mind control, but hey, you know, she, she wants to have dinner with everyone now. Right. So she leads everyone to a small dining hall deeper in the compound, sometimes used for heroes' feasts. And they eat and drink, and she drinks and she drinks, and she falls deeper and deeper into her cups, and she gets a little more chatty. And Decimus surreptitiously checks for scars on her body, but finds that she does not have any. Yeah, unlike the party, who have all been previously vivisected. So... She gets to talking and, you know, she, she finally sort of like seems to level with them a bit. She says, she admits, you know, their deaths were unusual, right? The party's death, her death, because of course she died on the same day. There were unknown energies from the day of mourning because, you know, it was right on the border with Seer. And they seem to combine with all of these noxious fumes and elemental discharges that were being released from the ground when the compound was destroyed. Because, uh, it turns out, go figure, the enclave where they died was actually a secret Jurasco research facility. And she speculates that some of the experiments they were working on must have reacted violently. She becomes reticent, but naturally the party pushes for more information, and she ends up admitting that she has been changed since her resurrection. She's not fallen ill, um, and she asks if the party has had any, you know, <laughs> suffered any diseases, any colds, any flus. And none of us have. Yeah, for the first time, they all sort of think back and realize that they haven't gotten sick in the last four years. Although Switch, the paladin, is protected by the divine blessing of the traveler. But yeah, nothing that they can remember. No, no contagious diseases, no, nothing that uh, might make them fall ill on their own. Wilmo 
also claims, though, that, you know, as she's looking down at her basically like eighth glass of wine, that no matter how much she drinks, she has discovered it won't kill her. And before she can explain what she means by that, she discovers the remains of poison, uh, sediment at the bottom of her glass. But if that wasn't enough, just then two arrows pierce the paper wall of the dining hall, and one hits Wilmo right in the chest, sending her crashing to the ground. And we'll find out what happens next, next week. So this week, in the third installment of our new-ish series on how to use iconic monsters in your games, we're talking about Slod. Or Slotty, I guess. I don't know. Slod has better SEO. Yeah, I like I like <laughs> Slod as the uh, as like just the the group term. Even though I know Slotty is technically what you call multiple Slods, it just it just feels weird. Yes, you will bow before the might of the Slod, but there are three Slotty over there. Exactly. Yeah. Cool. So okay. like, I think <laughs> Slod is a collective, but you know, Slotty is the plural. Works for me. Okay, well, let's go with that because I like it better. Um, anyway, so yeah, so we're continuing the series. We've we've talked about devils and dragons. This is the first time that we're talking about a monster that was created for D and D by D and D, and is actually still owned by Wizards of the Coast. Like they have the copyright on this. Yeah, for D and D by D and D. You know, da 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 da. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> All right. So the slod date back to the fiend folio and they were created like many D monsters based on a lovecraftian fever dream from the creator literally a fever dream <laughs> uh from the the creator claims to again according to wikipedia <laughs> claims to not have read lovecraft until afterwards but similar theme i mean we've all had those dreams before <laughs> right <laughs> So they were, Slod were originally intended to be these sort of menacing beings that embodied pure chaos and entropy, right? Like kind of that unfeeling, um, the unfeeling just destruction of everything falling apart. But uh, the early art for them, like a lot of D&D monsters, made them look like bipedal toads. So they were kind of a joke. Like they weren't scary. They were goofy. Yeah, you got this a lot when you were looking through, like, you know, very old monster manuals where, you know, you basically have, like, photocopied art ripped from, you know, some mythology book or, you know, something scribbled by a, a person. Like, the original Bugbear art looks oh. pretty ridiculous and silly. Real bad, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, yes, the slot sort of gets saddled with this, like, silliness, right? Because, oh, they're they're chaos incarnate, and that's supposed to be terrifying, right? But I, in the old days, like, they almost come across as, like, tricksters a bit and you know the idea of like a a bipedal toad monster is isn't all that out of the ordinary right like there are tons of bipedal pick your animal monsters that are supposed to be scary and then just kind of look weird and dumb right right yeah it's like if you look at grung today you know it's like oh they're cute i mean they're a little scary because they use poison darts and they're you know tree frog people but like i mean you don't introduce Grung if you want everybody to be shaking in their boots, right? Like, Grung are the cute enemy that you have to deal with, not the terrifying one. Right. I feel like this is the kind of thing that led to, like, Tucker's Kobolds back in the day, where you were like, these are supposed to be scary, like, tiny dragons, uh, or, like, lizard people who eat you, but nobody's afraid of them, so I will make them murderous. Right, right. Um, Anyway, so, as usual, Planescape saves the day for the slot. 
Uh, of course. It leans into making them frightening and chaotic. Uh, it it kind of gives them that more like gruesome visage of Toad rather than the sort of goofy one. And that's the version that still persists today. Yeah, Planescape needed a like um, an enemy race that was based on chaos because uh, alignment is so important in that setting. Right. And I don't know, I can't really think of any like other iconic evil purely chaos creatures so now in fifth edition they have a little bit of an updated origin story so uh the the basis is primus the modron deity of pure order cast a geometric stone of pure order into the plane of chaos limbo uh with the intent of i don't know fixing it it's a little unclear but what it allowed was for lawful creatures like Gith and Modrons to enter Limbo and create their own enclaves, basically to colonize Limbo. Uh, of course, Lim- the pure chaos of Limbo doesn't like this <laughs> and sort of responds, and the stone begins also spawning chaos abominations, including the Slod. Yeah, so it's like uh, it's like an immune response from Limbo. <laughs> Like, you, you try to inject me with order, you get slod. That's how you get slod. Right. <laughs> Cleaning up too much. <laughs> and I think what this does is it explains how you have these creatures that are meant to be pure chaos who also have this very regimented hierarchy and reproduction cycle that, like, is is very, like, sequential and ordered, right? So this is sort of that explanation of they were birthed out of the spawning stone, not necessarily, like fully chaotic at the time yeah they're like chaos's interpretation of what order would look like right exactly <laughs> uh yeah that's an interesting point because probably as much as your traditional like chromatic dragons you can tell what a slot is like what its abilities are and what it's going to try to do and like its personality based on what it looks like yeah exactly yeah they have completely different physiology Mostly so, based on color. <laughs> so, so if you're colorblind, that's, it's going to be difficult. Yeah, yeah. Red, green, colorblind particularly. <laughs> so in 5th edition, the challenge ratings range from 5 red slots all the way up to 10 death slots, which make them a really good enemy for like a tier 2 party. Yeah, this is the kind of thing that can easily feature for that second tier 2 arc of your campaign. All right, so let's talk about slotty physiology. So like we said, they are bipedal monstrous toads, at least when they're in slod form. But all slods are also shape changers who can revert to the shape of the humanoid that originally spawned them. Uh, They are also extremely hardy. (laughs) It's not easy to survive in limbo. So to help them, they have uh, several elemental resistances, they have magic resistance, and then they also have innate regeneration. Yeah, they're just super hard to kill if you don't know what you're doing. Right. Um, and they're all physically capable. Um, even like, you know, the green slot, who are the spellcasters, tend to be pretty strong, like at least as strong as a, as a relatively decent human. Um, but they're also mostly fairly dumb. Uh, Death and gray slotty are intelligent and devious, but red and blue slot are simple-minded agents of chaos. They're there to reproduce and occasionally just fight each other anyway. All right, so speaking of reproduction, we've already mentioned the humanoid who spawned them. Let's get into that a little bit. Uh, yeah. Because th- this is the thing that like makes them, or can make them, terrifying and introduce an element of body horror into the slot. Yeah, so not only are they 
color-coded toad people, but the red <laughs> slot, the lowest form of slot, infects new hosts by injecting an egg uh, into a wound that they make with their claws. Uh, that egg, over a period of a month, uh, three months maybe, grows into either a blue or green slot. Uh, then what happens is the egg matures, eats its way out of the host, and explodes out of their chest, not unlike the horrible abomination from a movie franchise you might have heard of. <laughs> <laughs> that, that has a new RPG out. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, this, this is scary because like, this is CR5, right? So, you know, your relatively low-level adventuring party can encounter these things. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, like your, your average village is, isn't probably going to run into a slot, but if they did, like they're all dead right easily because it doesn't need to bite you right there isn't some sort of like strange uh infection vector it just needs to scratch you with a claw and when it does that like you make a saving throw and if you fail that you got eggs in you now right and those things are growing and they are very difficult to get rid of like you need magic to get rid of these things yep yep it's a disease (laughs) (laughs) so treat that and you've got a three-month timer uh make friends with your local paladin right (laughs) So above red, you've got blue, the second lowest slot on the hierarchy. They infect new hosts by infecting them with a chaos phage. Yeah, so they have these little like hooks on the back of their claws, like on the back of their hands that inject basically like a poison um, that gives you chaos phage. Over, uh, over the course of a few days, you will probably die and and give birth to a red slot because it reduces your maximum hit points every 24 hours and prevents you from gaining hit points. So when you die, uh, there comes a red slot. So think about this. They're, they basically reproduce through disease, essentially. But I also kind of think of, to use the antibody analogy again, like the, that slot in general are also like a disease, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You put a single slot in a city and a red a red or a blue infects a person. That person then dies and turns into another one of these things and then goes out and infects more of them. Like you can and and it's a magical disease and it doesn't necessarily present as something obvious. So you have these people just like lingering on, wandering around, maybe even going about their business. Uh, as an advisor to the king or whatever uh, and then suddenly like from their chest or like wholesale they transform into a freaking full-grown evil slot right <laughs> well a chaotic slot <laughs> okay yes sure <laughs> in the middle of a, of a city i'll say they're basically the same thing <laughs> so the next slot on the hierarchy are green slot uh, these are the magic slot, and and they are born either from red or blue who infect a humanoid who has spellcasting levels. So if you're a third level spellcaster or higher and you are infected by a red or blue slot, instead of the opposite color, they produce a green slot. Um, and these are the ones that begin to actually become intelligent, right? Because they're spellcasters. So um, not only are they more dangerous, they're also more devious, Um and they have a goal. Like, their goal isn't just to reproduce because above greens in the hierarchy are gray slot, who are truly powerful, truly dangerous, and also just the green slot who survive become gray. 
So you remember when I told you that if you've been infected by a chaos phage or a slot egg, you should go find that paladin to remove disease? Mm -hmm. You better make sure they remove the disease because if you turn to a slot, you are infecting that paladin who is going to be a green slot. <laughs> yeah. Well, they're immune to disease, right? Oh, wait. Is chaos phage, is chaos phage also technically a disease? It's a disease, yeah. Oh, they're all right then. Yes. Keep finding those paladins. Yeah, find those paladins. <laughs> um, Clerics, though. Clerics are no good. <laughs> so originally, a gray slot was like a, a transformation that every green slot went, went through after 100 years. Uh, but new canon, it's more random, it's less predictable, so um, it might be that they need secret knowledge, it might just be the chaos of Limbo causes it to happen, but at some point, Green Slod randomly become Grey. Um, now what's important here, Grey Slod have the ability to use um, Plane Shift, which means they can easily travel between uh, Limbo and the Material Planes, carrying out plans and orders from their masters, the Death Slod. When a gray slot eats the entire corpse of a death slot, they in turn become a death slot. Don't let you don't don't think for a moment that this means that death slot are like a limited resource in the slot community because of course they can also be spawned from spawning stones. So like whatever. But point being like that's where this sort of chaos comes in, right? Is the gray slot are beholden to the death slot, but the death slot, uh, if they're betrayed, get eaten by gray slots and they eat all their power. I like that these days, you know, there isn't necessarily a canon reason why green becomes gray. Um, you know, you you have like set ways for some kinds of slot to become other kinds of slot, but now that it's a little muddled at some of these levels, it means that you can have, you know, slot with goals mm-hmm. and and slot who are who are planning and slot who are betraying each other, not not just because hey, we're chaos, but because uh they actually want to move up in the hierarchy. Right. Um and also that it doesn't there isn't necessarily a specific way to go about it. There actually might be multiple ways. So you've got these like green slots and maybe even gray slots who are, you know, traveling back and forth between limbo and the material plane and like searching for secret knowledge and maybe like hiring cultists or starting a cult or, you know, even shape changing it back into a humanoid and then um hiring adventurers to go out and do things. Right. Yeah, exactly. Of course. And then it- <laughs> And then at the very top of the hierarchy are the Slod Lords. There are a couple who've been identified in canon. Uh, we have Sendum, the Slod Lord of Insanity, and Igoral, the Slod Lord of Entropy. But hey, if you need more, <laughs> maybe they also get spawned from from the stone too, you know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe they eat each other or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> no worries. I mean, maybe that's the goal of a death slot is to ascend to a slot lord. Mm-hmm. I mean, they, they're devious and they have plans and, and I guess they're following orders, but maybe Sendem and Igoral are fighting each other too. Yeah. You know, insanity, fighting against entropy. Huh. What else could it be? <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about the philosophy of the slot. Yeah, I think this is important because often slot will show up in a campaign where alignment matters, or you have the great wheel that's used in D&D where, you know, each of these outer planes corresponds to a particular alignment, so it ends up mattering, even if it doesn't necessarily, like, start off being very important. Right. All slot are beings of pure chaos. That doesn't mean that they are all evil, although... You know, pure chaos is probably anathema to most kinds of civilization. It's certainly not good, <laughs> right? <laughs> but they are, yeah, they are all, uh, they are all 
chaotic neutral, except for Death Slod, who have an infusion of negative energy <laughs> and are also sadistic and actually evil. <laughs> They're also the ones in charge. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know... <laughs> Um, but yeah, like their, their main schemes are to marshal all of the lower slot, uh, and, and drive them towards incursion into other planes, right. To spread chaos, to sow discord. That's sort of the idea. Right. Like, um, you can't really infect other slots and, you know, the creatures that live on limbo are amorphous and, and ever changing. Uh, it's hard to infect them. You've got to go to the material plane. <laughs> right. And if your goal is to inc- to have more slot, you got to go somewhere where you're not immediately going to get murdered. Yeah, you know, you can't just rely on slot mating season back at the spawning stone. You know, you got to go out and and be fertile. Yeah. Also, being around a bunch of other slot is a good way to get eaten. That's true. All right. So, because the death slot, the gray slot, and the green slot can all shape change at will, this means they are excellent at subterfuge and schemes. Yeah, the gray slot are going to be the ones who are most likely to carry them out, as as mentioned previously, right? Because they have plane shift. They can go between um, limbo and the material plane relatively easily. Uh, green slot are going to more likely be in the plane where they started uh, until they are able to like go to limbo to become gray slot. Which means you can have a bunch of slot who are basically trapped where they are, right? If you have a slot incursion and then a bunch of new slot begin emerging and like bursting forth from the local populace you'll probably have a bunch of red and blue and green slots who are basically stuck here or a bunch of cultists trying to open a gate to limbo to get the <laughs> slots home <laughs> <laughs> or maybe even a bunch of adventurers who yeah. are trying to open a gate to limbo to get the slot out of here yeah exactly <laughs> look we can't kill them all but can we flush them down some sort of toilet to limbo? It's the slotty door, you know. <laughs> it's it's the the Ghostbusters plot, basically. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we can't kill these ghosts. And then the other thing about slot philosophy is like, you know, we talk about how they have this ironic like order to their reproductive cycle and, and even like their hierarchy. Um, this isn't enforced by like some principle of order, right? In the way that like an evil empire has order, the way that devils have order amongst their ranks, like it's enforced by brute strength, right? It is just the fact that the grace, the gray slots are stronger than green slots that they are pressed into service. They will happily betray them at a moment's notice if they have the opportunity, which I think adds a nice wrinkle to interactions with slot if you are a party member who's dealing with them like i think usually they're presented as like the big hulking brute who comes in and slashes at you and tries to like you know procreate inside your chest which they are (laughs) (laughs) yeah not wrong (laughs) but they also kind of want to screw over their compatriots you know they they have no problem doing this so if you can offer them something that will, you know, benefit this particular slot, um, th- th- there's no, like, loyalty among slots, really. Right, except to strength, basically. Right. Um, and then also keep in mind that, like, red slot and blue slot hate each other, even though they are responsible for each other's continued existence, right? Like, they have that innate drive that tries to procreate, but they don't get along. They don't work together. Like they're just as likely to attack each other as they are to attack a third party enemy. Yeah. Unfortunately, I guess fortunately for them, they're short sighted enough that they're not thinking, okay, if I attack this villager, 
they're going to spawn a different kind of slot from me. Right, yeah. <laughs> just like, oh, I love attacking villagers. This is yeah, great. Exactly. <laughs> I don't know why, but I got to do it. <laughs> All right, let's talk about a bit of world building and how to fit slot in your setting. Because I think, you know, if you're running Planescape, they're, they're going to show up. But if you're doing Forgotten Realms, you've really got to think about how and why they're going to fit in the setting. Yeah, so they are most likely going to be outsiders. Um, and it's a question of why are they here, right? Are they visiting? Are they colonizing? Is it for some acute purpose or some broader purpose? You know, are they trying to destroy the world and introduce chaos and entropy? Or are they trying to, you know, maybe reproduce to do something else? Right. Like, there are other creatures that you can use for subterfuge who are like pretending to be locals, like, you know, Yuanti or, or something like that. And, you know, they build entire societies and like live, um, you know, just beneath the surface, infiltrating society for generations. They're gene stealers, you know, that mm-hmm. is not slot. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> the slot do can infiltrate, but it's probably not going to be a long term thing. They're They're here for probably a short term reason. But think about what is the scheme and what is the scale of that scheme is this just a regular slot incursion and we're gonna take over this whole city and kill everything in it ha 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 or is it part of a grander scheme that is either being manipulated by a death slot or maybe not a slot right like are we talking evil wizards here Right, right. That often they, seems pretty likely. Yeah. <laughs> like, if, if you find a way to bind a slot, right, to get the control stone of a death slot, something that we'll talk about in just a few moments, um, maybe you are using them for that purpose, right? Like, you're, you're using them as agent provocateurs. Agents provocateur. Uh, and then consider if they're going to be a major villain on their own or perhaps a convenient foil or, you know, like like you said, being used as the henchman of a of the major villain. You know, like, is this the end of the plot for your arc or are they part of something bigger? Yeah, like we said earlier, you know, they're good tier two monsters because, you know, they're going to wipe low level parties. Um, but at, at higher levels, they're relatively easy to deal with, especially once you have ways to handle disease pretty simply. Mm-hmm. Um but remember, you know, you have death slots and then you can also level them up. You can give them their own character levels, uh, additional XP. Um, but yes, probably the easier thing to do is to either reskin higher level monsters or just have them continue to be um, high level henchmen who are still very dangerous when there are uh, many of them. Right. Uh, and then, of course, in your setting or in your game, they have thematic uses. Obviously, they are associated with chaos and entropy and sort of the the destruction of anything lawful and orderly. Right. If there's a slot in this location, then there's some tie to those sorts of themes or or an aura of that in this place. Right. Like you're, they're not going to be able to like survive long enough in a place or want to stay long enough in a place that doesn't feel that way. There are also basically harbingers of disease. They might show up where disease is prevalent. They might be the co- the root cause of that disease, uh, or they might you know follow in the wake of dis- of other diseases in order to kind of hide themselves. Right while you're treating the uh, the the plague, you're also unwittingly giving uh, fertile breeding grounds to the slot. Right, or you know, walking around like a uh, like a healer, and yeah, <laughs> right. you're, maybe you're fixing broken legs and you know curing the the influenza 
<laughs> but you're also infecting people with chaos phages. Right. And in three months, you're going to have a problem. <laughs> and then they can also be, you know, imposters. They can they can sow distrust and discord, like sort of leading to the insanity uh, that, that can result when you can't trust anybody in an otherwise orderly society. Yeah, I actually like this a lot. I think most people forget that Slod can shape change. And so once you're like, all right, I think we're dealing with shape changers. You know, people are doing things that don't seem like they would do. Are we dealing with doppelgangers here? That'll be difficult. They can read minds. Is it a Rakshasa? That would be terrible. And then the reveal is, oh, no. <laughs> yeah. I was hoping it wasn't Slod. <laughs> it's it's actually worse because it's not just one. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's never just one. <laughs> like, I thought I was dealing with an imposter. I'm dealing with a whole race of imposters. <laughs> so let's talk about how you use Slod as NPCs. I very rarely see this, and I would like to see it more because, sure, you're probably not spending a lot of time with a recurring red or blue slot NPC, but a death slot has goals and it has mm. motivations and it has things you might want. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh. And part of, part of the fact that you don't see them very often is that they're not super common in canon fiction either, mm-hmm. you know? So it's very possible that like they're seen as boogeymen, right? Like a PC who deeply believes or feels immediately threatened or sounds the alarm of slod might just be like laughed at or ostracized for those beliefs like yeah like, it's crazy you're the crazy person like yeah. slot aren't real <laughs> they're children's stories like if, sure red blue green okay yeah we all know oh a big toad monster huh yeah <laughs> <laughs> and even if confronted with actual vis- visual evidence a person who sees a slot tadpole may have no idea what's going on or what it is yeah you might see a slot tadpole burst out of the chest of your best friend and still not know that slaughter involved yeah that's uh that's a mind flare right that's what's going on here <laughs> yeah, exactly <laughs> like the misidentification of slot is also probably a problem i would actually love to spring these on maybe relatively new players or players who don't have like a long history with D, but may have played other games um you know, it's nice to be able to actually run a, a real mystery, like horror mystery, where they are presented with all this evidence. But, you know, you can't reach into mythology and be like, oh, we're dealing with a, a basilisk, right? Right. When right. a person obviously has been turned into a statue or these other like creatures of myth. If you don't already know Slod, then they are terrifyingly unknown. Like, what the hell could their capabilities possibly be? And even once you meet one, oh, we killed that giant blue toad and we know what they're capable of now. Like, meet my green brother. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Keep in mind that, you know, while red and blue slod are relatively dumb, green slod and the higher ones can be bargained with or used and manipulated. And like, gray and death slot will probably trade a little bit of chaos now for a lot of discord later like they can be manipulated and bargained with just straight up you know like don't do this until later in the month when it'll have a bigger effect yeah or even later in the century right sure like like (laughs) if the green slot is like well if i wait 100 years and like you know keep my head down i'll be a gray slot it could cer- you could certainly have a you know conversation where they're like, all right, yeah, I won't kill everybody here. That's fine. Uh, but you know, two hundred years from now, <laughs> you're going to hear from me, or right. I guess maybe not you. I don't know how long you things live. Usually, not long in my experience. <laughs> 
Uh, I also think it's interesting if your slot become a tool to undermine maybe a greater threat, right? Like they wouldn't really consider anything a mutual threat, but hey, if there is a big evil empire that's encroaching upon the free lands um, with its rigid hierarchy and its, you know, rule of law and its, you know, despotic rule, like, yeah, Slod might be an ally to just go and sow some discord in their ranks and, and undermine like the, the basis of their, you know, sure, tyrannical rule, but still rule. I love this idea of like the good guys basically arguing about the the ethical quandary of like enlisting slot or like releasing slot. This is basically like, do we use biological weapons in yeah. war? Yeah, exactly. Like, great. If the slot defeat them, we are happy. But if they defeat them too well, then right. we're fighting slot. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I really like the idea of like a, a fantasy Geneva convention where everyone in the world has decided that we're not releasing slot on each other. Like, there's just not a thing we do. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> we actually, did that before. And the, the slot purge of 1350. They actually slid that into the, uh, the Treaty of Thronehold. Um, it was just like a weird like <laughs> subsection and everyone was like, yeah, sure. Who's going to debate about this? But it's come in handy a couple times, you know? Right. <laughs> right. Karnath was like, I mean, they can't kill our troops. Right. Exactly. <laughs> We're naturally immune to disease. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, the big thing here is that you can never fully trust the slot. So if you are bargaining with them, if you are working with them in some way, they're going to betray you when it becomes useful for them. Yeah, or maybe not even when it's useful for them, right? Maybe just because, like, whoops, they woke up on the wrong side of bed that morning, and, like, now they're doing the thing today instead of in a week because, oh, well. Yeah, like, maybe it's just they had the opportunity, and so they're going to take it. Right. Or, like, like to your point, they don't have the opportunity, and they're going to, you know, run headfirst into your pikemen. Sure, but they're also going to kill a bunch of them. Right, Because, right. like, I'm chaos. Or, like... That invasion never comes, right? Like watching you suffer, <laughs> watching you fall apart. Hey, that's also a form of disorder. Right. We thought it would be funnier if the evil empire won, actually. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's talk about using them in combat. I think combat against Slod should be a, like a, a scrum or a swirl mm-hmm. of chaos. Things yep. should be difficult to keep a handle on. It should be tough to always like know where everybody is or or know what they're going to do next their their tactics don't necessarily make sense um they are not even necessarily predators because they're they're not really here for a meal um lower level slots are just out to reproduce right um and then higher slot want to escape <laughs> you know like <laughs> it's a they they have to live to tell the tale so they they're not fight to the death type creatures um they are probably uh, manipulable in how they select their targets mm-hmm. to some degree. Yeah. So let's talk about some of their combat strengths. Uh, first of all, you've got deception, right? Like an infected host might not know it. Um, you've got green, gray, and Deathslot can all change shape at will. They have access to invisibility. They, they can be difficult to track down. Yeah, they, and they should be doing this in the middle of combat, right? Like, oh, yeah. Why maintain a single form when you can run behind a tree and look like somebody else or, you know, separate the party and then take one of their shapes? Right. Uh, they're durable. All of them have good hit points, pretty decent AC, lots of different uh, elemental resistances, and they all regenerate. So if they can just 
lay low for a little bit, uh, even if they turn into someone who you might consider a friend and just talk it out for a minute, they're basically going to heal themselves fully. Right. Then in terms of their weaknesses, right, they're relatively simplistic and chaotic. Uh, They're likely to target the lawful first, right, even if that isn't the strongest combatant. They're probably otherwise just going to attack the first available uh, or the first spellcaster available. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And then after that, like, they might attack each other, you know? Like, there's never a chance (laughs) that a red slot isn't going to just betray a blue slot. (laughs) Yeah, as a GM, you have a lot of levers to pull here to make combat with slots more difficult or to give your party a fighting chance. Yeah. You know, maybe they break away into infighting. Maybe like that breather that they need for regeneration is also a breather that your party needs. Right. Uh, and also, yes, they're going to geek the mage, but there's an in-universe reason why they're going to do that. Right, exactly. Like, if you hide that you have magic, perhaps they ignore you for a little longer, right? Mm-hmm. So in terms of tactics, like we said, uh, they will, if given the opportunity and the insight, take down people who are lawful. They hate order. They want to destroy order. Less order in the world is better for them. Yeah, so if it, that means if they see somebody giving orders, right, they will probably assume, absent any other evidence, that they are the source of order. Mm-hmm. And if you've got you know a, a holy symbol of an obviously lawful god on you, they're probably going to hit you, also because you're probably a spellcaster. Yeah, I mean, they're not geniuses, right? But, like, seven intelligence is enough to know. Yeah. (laughs) Right, especially if you were a humanoid, or, like, born of this plane from a humanoid on this plane. Like, it makes sense that they would recognize those symbols. Um, And then absent that, you know, target the NPCs. Like, a PC infected by a slot is in a lot of trouble, and that's going to suddenly become a major plot point um, that... It's going to be very high risk, right? And it's possible at certain levels when you encounter them, like you might not actually be able to deal with it, um, especially a blue slots chaos phage. Um, but an NPC, like that's a smaller cost to your story, or at least to your game, perhaps an equal cost to your story. Yeah, I think that can be actually a lot more interesting. You know, you infect a, a PC and then it's it's do or die, right? Like we absolutely have to figure out how to deal with this uh, egg or this chaos phage, or we're going to lose a party member. If it's an NPC now, now maybe you can actually just go quest. You don't have someone who is missing a bunch of hit points. You can find uh, whatever it is you need to heal this person, or it then becomes tension. Is this someone that we have to save? Is this someone that we want to save? If we don't save them, even if we don't want to, are they going to wander off into the world, spawn a slot, and then spawn more slot? Right, right. Um, and then keep in mind, like, slot make a lot of sense for hit-and-run tactics. They don't need to kill. They're there to cause disorder, cause mm-hmm. chaos, and reproduce, right? So while a red or blue slot might die to infect several people, um, a green or gray slot is just going to escape, right? Like, once the damage is done, like, they're going to plane shift right out of there. Um, or, you know, pop invisibility or shape change and go invisible, you know, like just get out of there any means necessary. Yeah, this is this means that any battle with Slod can turn into a Pyrrhic victory and you may not necessarily know it. Right. Like you're like, OK, great. We saved almost everyone or most of the NPCs and oh, like a few people got killed and that's that's tragic. But at least they're not going to turn into Slod. Did the NPC the who lived make their saving throw? You don't know that. 
Yeah. Like, like the PC would know if they made their saving throw, but NPCs, I don't know. Are we going to check everybody to make sure they didn't get scratched? I don't know. Are these people going to keep it a secret because they don't want to get put down? A lot of them probably will. Yeah, you have now your zombie tropes, right? Exactly. You hide that you were bitten so you can hope to stave off the infection and end up screwing over your community. Right. Or does a simple villager even know that like a simple scratch can mean death in a few months? Or are yeah, they like, that, oh, you know, that's a flesh wound. I'm okay. I get these all the time on the farm. Right. <laughs> that's that's a good one for uh, some overly boisterous and a little too knowledgeable PCs. Well, you didn't tell them that if they're scratched, they need to be treated. Right. So, whoops. <laughs> <laughs> they're just backcountry bumpkins. They don't know about the outer planes. Now, if you do involve a PC, this obviously becomes a much bigger element of your story. Yes. So one way to do that is to incorporate it into a backstory, right? Maybe they lost a loved one to a slot infection or witnessed the birth of a monster and that has somehow like shaken them or shaped them. I could even see someone who has a loved one who is currently infected and needs a cure in just a few months because that's actually something that can happen early on in a campaign where you're like between levels one and three and you're like trying to figure out how to find a fifth level spellcaster who can cast remove disease. Right. You might even be that fifth level spellcaster in a couple months. Yeah. And and keep in mind, like paladins can use lay on hands to remove it, but it costs five. You need a paladin. Paladins are rare. And then, of course, this connection doesn't need to already exist when you create the character you can introduce it take someone's important person or an npc that people have gotten you know attached to and introduce the slot infection element yeah or some organization that they hold dear right that is dedicated to law and order also deals with slot (laughs) like that's a thing that they're aware of that's a, a present threat that they have to clock i mean the harpers know about all of this stuff right right so, you know, they're going to be paying attention to, you know, whatever, uh, an, a random outbreak in Skullport and, you know, someone goes to investigate, maybe you, and discovers that, oh no, it's Slod. Right. Remember, the Harpers know all this stuff. Not every Harper knows this stuff. Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then in terms of magic and magic items, I mean, I think, Remember Slod target spellcasters because it improves their reproductive cycle? They don't necessarily kill spellcasters every time. So it's not like they're like dragons, for example, where they're hoarding lots of loot and just because they like benefit from killing spellcasters that they're going to get the the magic items or anything like that out of them. Yeah, like it would be better for that green Slod to have those magic items on them when they turn. Right. <laughs> On the flip side, that probably means that if they can identify a paladin or if they can watch a spellcaster or a cleric heal somebody or cure somebody of a disease, they will murder that person. Mm-hmm. Because that's the really the only thing that can stop a slot. It's not being killed yourself because, you know, the reproduction rate is so high. It's people who can uh, end the infection before it spawns. Yeah, and end a mass infection before it can be before it fully spawns. Now, you mentioned this briefly, but there is a bit of canon about Slod that can be used to manipulate them, the control gems. Yeah, any Slod that is born from the spawning stone will have a control gem in their brain. This grants the bearer of the gem control of the Slod whose gem it is. Now, 
it is more than a little unclear to me how you get this gem out of their brain (laughs) (laughs) without killing them. However, there is obviously some high-level magic that can do it. So specifically, the imprisonment spell will let you, as an alternate condition, take the gem from them uh, or like a wish. Um, and of course, you can destroy the gem with greater restoration, uh, even while it's in the spawn, the slod's brain, which will kill the spawn, uh, which will kill the slod. So that's a thing. Uh, if you get one, it's probably going to be uh, the work, like a concerted effort to acquire it, right? And then it should kind of give you that benefit. Yeah, I mean, have a talk with your GM, like do some research and figure out how you could get it out without just killing the slot remember they have regeneration right right so if you could i don't know maybe reduce them to zero hit points and not kill them outright vivisect them yeah exactly you basically (laughs) just like you know cut into the head take out the gem and you know 30 seconds later the thing's healed itself yeah i I guess that becomes a question of uh how many slot have to die for you to get those control gems you know (laughs) as many as it takes (laughs) right Uh, and then the other huge obvious magic item associated with slot is the spawning stone itself. This is artifact level or b- beyond even, um, you know, it's it's sort of a, a fundamental basis of the plane of limbo, but that could certainly be the impetus for a campaign um, or at least the beginning of a campaign, right? Is destroying the spawning stone in limbo. What would happen? Right. Like, okay, there aren't going to be any more slot, but that also means there aren't going to be any Githzerai monasteries. Or like Modrin's going through limbo because they can't exist there anymore. That's why the stone was there in the first place. Well, most of the Modrins are already dead because the slot fought back and killed them. <laughs> Don't worry. They just pop back up uh, in, um, in Primus's home plane. So when I'm planning a campaign, I usually will pick two, maximum three kinds of creatures that are going to feature pretty prominently. And... I really like the idea of Slod being one of those monsters that the party basically needs to deal with and become experts on and experts on fighting for a good chunk of their careers because there's so many different types, there's so many different ways to interact with them. Um, and there's a really broad range of power levels where you can effectively utilize them. Mm-hmm. And also, I mean, we are still in the the COVID times, right? So if you want to introduce a little of that theme into your game, social distancing is one way to prevent slot outbreaks. <laughs> um, you know, so you, you could very easily kind of wrap this into sort of a very fantasy overlaid version of dealing with a pandemic and, and the social cost and challenges that come with it. Um, I could see that being a, a fair impetus. Yeah, that evil empire, why didn't uh, it have a slot outbreak? It's because it threw every suspected infected person and their entire families into separate jail cells Yeah, and just waited it out. Jail cells or funeral pyres? (laughs) Depends on how evil. How evil, yeah, exactly. (laughs) All right, do you hear that, Ishan? Do slots croak? I hope not, because that's what I'm hearing. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if you're hearing a slot croak, then we should move on to the character creation fortune. Figure out who's going to cure your slot problem. But before we do that, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane at Mundangerous. That's M-U-N dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan at Evil Sans Carne. That's Malice minus meat. And you can tweet on the show at TPTCast. You can also email us at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web at www.totalpartythrill.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at Total Party Thrill. And join the conversation on Discord. There's a link in the show notes. 
So this week in the Character Creation Forge, we're building the Toad Battler, or as you've written here, the Battle Toad. Yeah, you know, do you want it as a noun or a gerund? <laughs> that was an impossible video game. I I liked it and then I hated it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so what is a Toad Battler? Uh, a Toad Battler is the Gith Yankee who hunts Slod. Not a Gith Zarai? Uh, no. Mostly because I liked this better to get the weapon proficiency, Ishan. <laughs> okay, works for me. What's the build? The build is uh, Githyanki, Cleric of Order 17, Vengeance Paladin 3. So like you said, Githyanki gets plus 2 to strength, plus 1 to intelligence, and proficiency with the short sword, long sword, and of course the great sword and an additional skill. You also get uh, use of the mage hand uh, cantrip with an invisible hand. Uh, the jump and misty step spells once per long rest. Order Cleric 17, you get, you know, <laughs> all the great cleric spells, hold person, dominate person. You also yeah. get a voice of authority. So when you cast a spell on an ally, they can make an attack as a reaction. Right. This is going to submit you pretty quickly as the source of order in your party. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you bring <laughs> the slots you face to you. Slot. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Uh, mass healing word now all of you attack (laughs) (laughs) Um, you will also get uh, for your channel divinity a target will make a wisdom save versus being charmed Uh, then at level 6 you will get embodiment of the law wisdom times per day you can change an enchantment spell from an action to cast to a bonus action you get divine strike at at levels 8 and 14 and then at 17 Order's Wrath. On a hit, you curse a creature, and they take 2d8 psychic damage the next time an ally is going to hit them before the end of your next turn. This is, you just do this all the time. So basically, every round, when you hit a creature, curse. Bingo. Uh, Then from Vengeance Paladin, we will get Lay on Hands. Obviously, that will help you cure disease. You will get Divine Smite, which will help you do more damage to those nasty slod and overcome their resistance. Uh, And then you'll get a fighting style. Now, depending how frisky you are, this might be a good time for great weapon fighting style. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Shane, do slot have resistance to radiant damage? They do not, Isha. Ah, well, well. Now, as a paladin, of course, you'll also get divine health, making you immune to disease and immune to getting turned into a slot yourself. Right. Which, of course, just means that they will try to murder you. Yes, exactly. (laughs) They will not be hitting it and quitting it, as it were. You also get spells like Bane and Hunter's Mark as a Paladin. And then your Channel Divinity, you can abjure enemy, which uh, if they fail a saving throw, they are frightened and they cannot move. But what you're really here for is Vow of Enmity, which uh, grants you advantage on attacks against the target for a minute. So in terms of leveling order, I would start with all of my Paladin levels and then take cleric straight through so you get uh you get a nice capstone there at 17 with orders wrath mm-hmm. uh so ishan who is your toad battler okay i'm gonna fix this whole githyanki githzerai thing my okay. to- toad battler is a githyanki raised by githzerai now those of you who know canon may think that's impossible that couldn't happen yeah the, ishan, the that's impossible sub-races. that couldn't happen <laughs> those two sub races hate each other here's the thing though <laughs> In 5e particularly, they are subraces of a single race. And if you look at the art throughout history, there's no physical difference between them. It's it's all cultural and the way that they dress. So <laughs> a, okay. a Githzerai, 
uh, monk, calm and serene, uh, focused uh, in on themselves, finds a Kithyanki infant in the Astral Sea and uh, decides to adopt them because it is a test. Can I turn a Kithyanki into someone uh, who is, you know, calm and stable and, and you know, follows a, a righteous path rather than the, uh, the dictates of the Lich Queen? I guess we'll find out. <laughs> and uh, here, here you go. Here's uh, what they turn into. Still violent, uh, still want to destroy things, but now their ire is focused on uh, the scourge of limbo. Got it. What nice. about your Toad Battler? Well, so of course, um, everyone knows that pirates are prone to the occasional ideal streak and... Are Githyanki nothing better than Astral Sea Pirates? That's exactly what they are. Okay. So, from time to time, might a Githyanki pirate captain um, get it in their head that sometimes, instead of just preying on things in the Astral Sea, they should give back to, you know, kind of um, privateer, if you will, and fight a greater <laughs> threat in times of war? <laughs> so, my, my Toad Battler is... Uh, a privateer who is invading Limbo to fight the Slod on a, you know, not a holy mission necessarily, but like a mission for the greater good. This is going to c- confuse so many Gifts or I monks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you're not here to murder us? <laughs> right. Wait. Uh, it, it's the thing is, you know, Spain and England were briefly allied, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I guess the greater threat, the French. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, Shane, hear me out. What if uh, your Githyanki captain just has a vendetta against a particular death slot who is white? <laughs> 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 who once maimed him <laughs> in a fight? <laughs> okay. Cool. Fine. <laughs> There's a bard on the ship too who's just writing everything down. <laughs> this doesn't like, end well though, this campaign. Uh look at that. <laughs> you know, three character creation forge backstories for the price of two. You're welcome. <laughs> All right. Before we wrap up, let's take a moment and thank our Patreon supporters. Yeah, your support is what makes it possible for us to keep doing this show every single week. So if you'd like to learn more, you can check out our rewards at patreon.com slash total party thrill. You can also leave us a five-star review on iTunes. If you do so, we will read it on the air. So what do we have planned for next week's episode? We'll be talking about using cults. And in the Character Creation Forge, we're building the Deep Programmer. Well, that's it for episode 246 of Total Party Thrill. I hope we lived up to our name, but either way, I'm Shane. And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening. Total Party Thrill is also brought to you this week by Cobalt Press. The Cobalt Press store offers the full line of 5th edition titles from Tome of Beasts to Guide to Game Design plus hundreds of adventures, map packs, and more. Yeah, there are 5e titles available both in print and in PDF or in money-saving bundles. There are virtual tabletop versions that are available from Roll20 and Fantasy Grounds. Their orders are still shipping within 24 hours while supplies last. So, Ishan, if you want to check out the Midgard campaign setting, or you want to check out Southlands campaign setting, or you want to check out, say, the Tome of Beasts in preparation for Tome of Beasts 2, what would you do? You'd check it out at coboldpress.com. You know, in my experience, the monsters in Tome of Beasts run a little bit hot. Um, 
And you know what? I kind of like that because in my experience, the monsters in the 5th edition monster manual run a little bit cold. Fall a little bit flat, if you will. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, hey, if you want to really test your party, pull out Tome of Beasts and see how they fare. So check that out and everything else at cobaltpress.com and tell them DSPN sent you.